If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey, listen. Hey everyone, and welcome to another One Upsmanship. Oh boy, it's been a while. It feels like it's been a while. I agree. Uh, yeah, I'm Michael Swaim. Who's that with me? That's me, Adam Ganser, co-host. And it feels like it's been too long, right? Oh, Maybe it, it a does. week extra, yeah. week longer than I don't know how the cycle got messed up, but it feels like it's been too long and too long since we had our very special guest with us. Welcome, hey. Mr. Zach Ryan. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for yeah. coming back. Yeah, it's been since That's um, Ghost, Ghost of Tsushima, I think. Yep. Yeah. Ghost yep. of Tsushima, yeah. great game. Mm -hmm. Still your game? Was that your game of the year? Is that uh, well, Arrival? Well, so it, I, I did play, I did love Ghost of Tsushima, but I think uh, at the end of the year, Hades ended up kind of winning out for me. Wow. Just because, yeah, I, I really loved Ghost of Tsushima, but man, I... I got I got into Hades in an unhealthy way. I played just an insane amount of that game. So, yeah, I ended up logging two fifty in that <laughs> game, which yeah. if for me is very hefty. That's <laughs> longer than I usually spend with one game. What were you going to say? I was going to ask: Is there a point where it stops sort of yielding new story returns? Like, when is uh, it just the just for fun and not you're I not mean, getting I, any new? I don't think that I played. Uh, I don't think that I played 250 hours. I, you know, I, I know that I played a lot, and I, I completed it several, several times, and still didn't get all of the story stuff. And you know, wow. there's there's all the relationships to max out, and those yield more story things. And, and like, there are definitely some relationships in that game that I didn't max out, but um, I, I loved it enough that I, I played such a significant amount of time on Switch. And then when I saw that it was coming to Xbox Game Pass, I was like, "Hell, I'll do it all again uh -oh. there too." <laughs> you know. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. I also did not reach the end of the story or, you know, the story threads to the point that I sat there wondering an impossibly stupid thing to wonder, like, 
are there infinite procedurally generated stories? But it's like, no, it's voice actors. It can't be infinite. But it really is phenomenally right. deep. Um, and uh, I'm going to get us on track, but I think that segues nicely because we're talking about another phenomenally deep game that features a repetitious cycle mm-hmm. that is very brutal, mm-hmm. much like oh, yeah. Hades, especially when you start out. Because um, we're talking about Bloodborne. Woo. I think people have been waiting for this one for a long time. I have been probably. waiting for this I know one. Some folks who have. I've been waiting for this. Really? One. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like I, this is one when we first talked about this podcast. We were like, we got to cover Bloodborne, right? And we're finally, we're finally ready to do it. We're just over three years into the life of this podcast, for reference. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's comforting actually, because you know, video games take so much longer than movies. I always worry that, like, how many games have I played in my life? When will we run out of games that I've played? Um, but not yet is the answer. There's still a ton of shit that we're like, I can't believe we haven't covered that yet. And one of them is from Software's Bloodborne. From, of course, also brought us Sekiro Shadows Die Twice and then the uh, progenitor to Bloodborne, the Dark Souls games. <laughs> um, and we talked to a lot of layman listeners here. We cater to them. So I'll, we'll just say that uh, if you don't know, from software, the maker of Bloodborne, are have become synonymous with this genre of games. That's how impactful this game is. Yeah, everyone fucking loves it, and we'll dig a lot into that and the culture around it, and uh, probably a little game called Elden Ring that's on the horizon from From Software. <laughs> but before we do, let's get into format and put Zach right on the spot for the speed run. Do you remember that from last time, Zach? Uh, you know the yes. rules. Mm-hmm. All right, I think he's so. ready Wait, to go. Okay, give me a he's refresher prepared. just in case. It's just an elevator pitch slash logline, like how you'd recap the game to someone you ran into on a street corner and you're in a hurry, Mm -hmm. but you want them to get the gist and they know nothing about Bloodborne. They never heard of it. Right. Uh, Okay. So Bloodborne is a gothic Victorian horror RPG uh, from from software. Um, The the key tenements are... uh, Extreme challenge and um, exploration being rewarded uh, through that challenge. I think that that's probably the summary that I would go with. Okay. Stop the clock. The clock was self-starting that time. We'll still insert it. Yeah. Okay. Um, you definitely saved Sonic from drowning because that was quick. <laughs> it didn't. Uh, I don't know that you could, though. Gothic is a good catch-all word, but mm-hmm. I think we'll have to dig into like the vibe because okay. the vibe's yeah. very, yeah. very specific. Yeah. Um, so let's get a little more into our various points of view by passing a checkpoint, which I guess means we all died. We got we we That's the most we, prevalent form of checkpoint. We went to the dreaming, right? We went to the the hunter's dream. Uh, That's right. Spent a couple of blood vials to buy some blood orbs and then a couple of blood echoes. Uh, to upgrade our blood-based weapon and then (laughs) went back to the same damn place. I pushed through a wall of mist and was immediately decapitated. (laughs) Just immediately dead. Um, But it's time for rants. And we we do the old rant sandwich here, which means hosts on the outside, guests in the middle. Mm. Adam, you want to rant first? Yeah, sure. I'll do it. All right. Uh, Player player one. Player one, Adam Ganser logging in. Okay, so uh, from software games have always been uh, frustrating to me in a way that was not fun. and But something about Bloodborne from the first time I played it until the time I played it where I actually beat it, like it just had a little more allure to it. I don't know why. I've been thinking about it for like maybe four or five months since I beat it. 
Um, I think the answer is that uh, it's a lot more action feeling than, say, like a Dark Souls game, which is more sort of block based. Um, I think also you said the vibe. The vibe is totally the I think the best thing about this game. Like it just feels really creepy, but not in like a jump scare way, just in like a just sort of a gross, like decaying, uh, morbid, playful way almost. Um, I enjoyed uh, every single boss fight that I did after the Blood Starved Beast, because fuck that Blood Starved Beast. Like that guy's a fucking <laughs> bastard. Uh, basically, like, I felt this game, like once you kind of got your feet under you, uh, it became very enjoyable and you and like once you leveled up enough so that you weren't getting your ass kicked every time, uh, then it really felt like just sort of playing a ritualistic puzzle that was very rewarding and you get into the right headspace. And once once you get there, this game is one of the best games you'll ever play in this genre uh, or maybe period. Like I like if somebody was like, this is in the top 10 games of all time, I'd think that was accept- like a lot. Mm-hmm. But top 50, I wouldn't be that offended by that because I think it's a really creative, interesting game. I think the fact that there's no blocking is like sort of subtly really important. Like the fact that you don't block, but that you have to sort of jump in and out and like earn back your health if you lose it makes it a more action-y feeling experience, which I I think is like the secret sauce to me. They just got me hooked on this. Um, The story is uh, absurd and impossible. Uh, and I don't mean impossible, like, how can a story be this? I mean, it isn't a story, because uh, I I watched a 30-minute video of a person who dared to explain it and, like, uh, tie all the loose threads together, and I still don't believe it's a story, uh, which to me is fine, because I don't really think the story in this game is uh, a heightening thing, but I do feel like From Software could afford to, like, let us understand what we're doing. Uh, I think From Software could afford that. Like they could make a move that's like, here's kind of what's really going on, and the games wouldn't suffer for that. I don't think it needs to be as obtuse as it is. Um, I enjoyed this tremendously. I think it's a great streaming game. Like if you're a person who watches streams or does streams and you want to play this game, this is a really good one because people will get excited when you win. Like it's a very triumphant feeling when you beat a boss, uh, and that's a really unique experience in video games now. You know, like there's just not a lot like that. So I loved it, and that's my rant. As usual, your rant very triggering for me. Hard not to interrupt. <laughs> Tons of stuff I want to say. Um, but it's not my time. It's player two's time. And today, Zach, you are player two. What I, is the core of your emotional experience with I, Bloodborne? I also heard a lot of things that I wanted to respond to in that rant and in Adam's rant. And, and I think that... that not in a way that's like, hey, you got these things wrong, but in a way of like, yes, absolutely correct. Like that, those are the things that I love about Bloodborne. Um, first of all, to me, this this is probably a top ten game of all time for me. I, wow. I played this game many times um, in you know different sorts of settings. Um, most recently, I replayed it with my girlfriend who had never finished it before, and she and I played our way through it, and um, that was really phenomenal. You know, you talked about how it's like an incredible streaming game because you celebrate the kind of triumphs together and like watching her overcome these bosses and not that I'm like a coach or anything because I'm still despite having played it probably six or seven times I'm still very not very good at it like watching her make her way through these bosses and stuff was like really super fun um 
this this game in particular holds a very special place in my heart, not only because I think that it is legitimately one of the best games ever made, but also because my first month at IGN when I got hired in 2015, they put me on a plane to go to Japan and uh, interview a bunch of the developers for Bloodborne oh. before I knew what a Souls game was. Um, and the two folks must that have I, been nice, you pre-pandemic motherfucker. Yeah, and like I, I, I <laughs> sorry, Swaim. We had we've had very different experiences. Um, but you know, the two guys that I went on that trip with were like huge Dark Souls fans and like couldn't wait to see this thing. And I got my hands on it when we were playing it for preview, uh, at, you know, on this IGN first trip. And I fucking hated it. I just couldn't mm. understand why anybody would want to throw themselves against the Cleric Beast 15, 20, 30 times before, um, you know, moving on to the next thing. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, I played this game. I got a copy when it came out because I was like, this is my first big thing. I'm so excited to, to you know, be, be in the industry, play this game that I saw the work behind the scenes on. And, like, I got two or three... In fact, I think I got to the Bloodstar Beast and hung it up and was like, this game is too hard, it's yeah. not fun. And when it came to, you know, Game of the Year conversations in November, December of that year, everyone at IGN was like... Well, not everyone, but a lot of people were championing Bloodborne. Like, hey, this game is phenomenal. It does something that, you know, it takes the Dark Souls formula and makes it something that is more accessible and also somehow equally obtuse. Um, and so I went back and started playing through it again and that is when I really understood what the gameplay loop was and got, like, I think it's one of the most satisfying gameplay loops in, in any game uh, ever made. Like, I think the ability to go in, understand the layout of an area, and, you know, just smash through a bunch of enemies, collect a bunch of points, and go back and upgrade so that you can go through the next areas and understand them a little bit better. I think that that's really incredible. Um, I, I, I have always been a very dedicated castlevania fans since the yeah. uh, you know the 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 first time i played symphony of the night and then went back and played some of the older castlevania games and i i have always thought of this you know in the way that people often compare the original dark souls to zelda you know like oh dark souls is just like zelda was when it first came out like bloodborne is to uh castlevania what dark souls is to zelda i think that this mm. is probably the, the best castlevania game made since konami stopped making castlevania games um, and I think you're absolutely spot on with the, the way that it rewards the player for that, that sort of risk-reward gameplay. You know, Souls is very sword and board, and it's very play cautiously. You know, make sure you understand the patterns and get in and attack when you can. But, but Bloodborne really encourages you to take some risks. And, you know, once you master the, uh, the stun in this game, like once you can get that, that, that rifle counter down... Holy shit, it just, it, there are very few things in gaming that feel as satisfying as getting those critical hits in like that. Maybe the Makiri counter in Sekiro, but um, this game in particular changed the way that I, I thought about and played video games and um, made me seek out challenging games in a way that I hadn't before. Like once I was able to complete Bloodborne, it opened me up to all, you know, obviously all the Dark Souls games, but also all these other games that I always thought were like, ah, oh, that's just too hard. I don't want to throw myself against that, you know, and like uh, that has been something that I've really relished in. Like I, I, you know, I play a lot of games on easy just to get through them, but the Souls games I come to specifically knowing that I'm just going to get the shit kicked out of me and I'm here for it. And like Bloodborne, I think, is the best one at that. And that's the end of my rant. Loved it. Wow. Bloodborne. Profound. Bloodborne is a gateway drug. Uh, yeah, Zach 100%. Ryan. Loved it. Yeah. 
But I'm glad that you brought up both Metroid and Castlevania, mm-hmm. a player three logging on, ranting at you, because I think that those that is the other genre that enshrines and does honor to the massive, brutal, punishing, almost too frustrating to complete boss fight that you ultimately uh, get and then just like <coughs> dopamine floods your body in a rush. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll say at first I was unhappy to be here today, not because of the <laughs> wonderful company I get to share, but because I I hate that there's this culture around Bloodborne. Okay, so I'm the guy for whom... Now I'm glad I'm here because someone should represent this perspective. But I'm the guy for whom that moment still hasn't come. Uh, It's like jazz, you see. (laughs) I understand and appreciate and can see that it's good and don't argue when other people say it's good. But I don't get it. It still just seems like a frustration machine. Mm -hmm. And... uh, so I'm like, I guess it's good that I'm here because I don't, I don't think I've uh, my experience is wholly unique. It might be the minority experience, but I don't think I'm the only one uh, who plays through Bloodborne and it's like the vibe is so awesome, but it makes me feel dumb. <laughs> like I literally can't understand the stats board because it's too massive and extensive and cryptic regarding what the items actually do and affect and what stats affect what. Uh, and then, so like, I'm not a big gambler and I do think there is a sort of metaphysical relationship between the same kind of impulse that makes you value the fluctuations in chance and luck enough to sit at a slot machine or, uh, you know, a roulette wheel. I think there's that same kind of rush with the system that From Software basically invented, which is banking your progress uh just for people who haven't played any games like this it's banking your progress at certain points so there's a lot of tension as you're navigating because if you die you get reset a significant amount mm-hmm. and uh making sure that your knowledge basically is the only way like your knowledge of the way the enemies move is actually what uh allows you to progress further through this world map essentially and uh unlike most games we cover on this podcast i think i've only gotten to the second or third boss i've definitely only explored one area of this game and i have put a good 50 to 60 hours into this game and i just never got past those points and it does hurt because it feels like they made a toy to be like you don't get to play with this (laughs) and um, when you tell other gamers about this, they go, oh, I guess you're old and bad at games now. That's interesting to know. Like, there is a toxic fan base around Bloodborne and from software games in general that reminds me of the fact that back in when I first engaged with video games in the arcade, there were high stakes because I was losing real money. Mm. And if I failed i got to i couldn't play anymore because there were people in line behind me from software feels like they want to bring that back and i was glad that we ascended over that and weren't doing that anymore like i don't play games to experience an extreme amount of pressure and frustration only to feel the rush of relief when that frustration is finally gone Mm -hmm. it seems counterproductive to me i don't get it I'm really upset that I just admitted that I don't understand jazz because that's way more damning. <laughs> and that's my rant. <laughs> I don't, I don't think. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think that you're wrong. You know, I I do think that there is this collective um, conversation around... Uh, from soft games, you know, and the, the obviously the internet meme is that you have to get good, right? Yeah, like, get, oh, good. get good, get good, right? Just get good, and <laughs> it's it's kind of you know it's kind of a double edged sword because honestly, that is the only way that you can get through these games. You have to understand the language that the games are trying to teach you in order to get through these games, um, and it does take a, a you know a fair amount of dedication and practice. Like I've never. I've never really been like a huge character action guy, you know, like um, Bayonetta, mm. Devil May Cry, like Ninja Gaiden. Like I've played these games casually in a way that it's like, oh, I'll check them out. And some of them I like and some of them I don't. And I play them by button mashing my way through them. And at the end, I yeah, if I have roll credits, you know, it's like, okay, great. I, I kind of faked my way through this. That's not a possibility in these games. Like you have to understand where your iframes are and you have to understand what the hitboxes of the bosses look like. And you have to understand the positioning of your character versus, uh, you know, the, the enemies that you're fighting. And you have to exercise the patience needed to get through these areas because, like, every time you enter a new area, you just have to accept the fact that, like, okay, well, the next two hours is going to suck. Like, the next two hours is not going to be super fun while I'm learning where these enemies are hiding and, you know, the, the magnitude of uh, just how unprepared I am for these, these enemies in these new areas. Like they, it's all kind of part of the, the rich tapestry that from software games, we of your failure, yeah. there is no way around it. You know, like I would argue yeah. that like Sekiro is probably the game that is the worst at this because, uh, or the best, I guess, like depending on where you're looking at it, because uh-huh. this um, moment of appreciation finally came for me during Sekiro, which is the follow-up to Bloodborne, right. because it allows, there was a second conduit that you could get good at. I mm-hmm. got good at the stealth element rather than getting good at combat, so, and I enjoyed that that option was there. That's interesting, because like I, I was really frustrated with Sekiro, because when I had problems with a boss in Bloodborne or Dark Souls or Dark Souls 2 or 3 or whatever, I would just go and grind. I would just go back to an area that I knew and fight bosses in a pat or fight enemies in a pattern that I knew and you know get a few more points attributed to damage or uh, defense or whatever whatever. Mm. But Sekiro doesn't really allow you to do that. You just have to understand the sword play in that game. So I think I think it's the harder of 
the FromSoft games. Um, but Bloodborne is, is you know, unique in the way that at least Bloodborne lets you get back some of the damage that you incur if you're quick enough. Yeah, you, know, like it, you get hit by a boss, you can make up some of that damage by getting in and, and getting a few hits off and edging a little bit of your health back. And that is a little more forgiving than Dark Souls or Sekiro where like, once you get hit, that's it, it's gone. Like you either heal or you die and that's it. Yeah, and- right. And of course the other key or signature element of these games is that if you can find your corpse without dying mm-hmm. twice in a row, you can recover the ground you lost, which I will, and, yeah. which I have to admit is like, it's perfectly addicting. Mm-hmm. I totally get that element and why it feels so good. Like I, it did not work on me. I'm definitely tense every time I'm dead, but there's a chance I could win back 10,000 souls, but mm-hmm. I only have one hit left. Like I get it. It definitely provides an emotional roller coaster. Uh, I just don't know if that's what I... No, I do. I enjoy it very much because roguelikes are sort of taking over the landscape lately, and I love a ton of them. I mean, we talked about Hades at the top. Um, We're going to talk about Returnal on this show, on the next episode of this show. Uh, But at the same time, I just would have appreciated if the bar was just low enough for me to have seen the rest of the game. That's all. It felt like cordoned off. And Sekiro, I, I at least could complete. And I don't know why. I don't know what the difference was. But as hard as I try at this goddamn Bloodborne game, I cannot get the hang of it in the way that other technical genres I've eventually surmounted, like your Mortal Kombat's, you know, another genre where you do have to kind of know how many frames stuff, mm-hmm. uh, the duration, frame duration of moves and hitboxes and whatnot. I can... I can get that in other games from One the, you, this whole episode is me just being like, <laughs> these games are so, so hard. hard. <laughs> one, one, one thing about Bloodborne that is unique, even among Frung software games, yes. is the dodging forward component. Like Dodging through things yes, is very satisfying. It's very satisfying. And also, like I think that like that one single move, and I'm not saying it doesn't exist elsewhere in From Software, but you rely on it a lot more in Bloodborne is sort of like anthemic to or thematic to like what makes Bloodborne different than other from software games. Like the fact that you're encouraged to do a completely counterintuitive move that actually feels like you're taking a bigger risk and that is the path to success is sort of why Bloodborne stands out from again Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Sekiro, right? And we talked about this, but I think that it takes a little like there's there's a, cur- a sort of a chasm that you have to leap over, right? It's like a, it's like a Kierkegaard work or something, right? Where you have to just take this blind mm-hmm. leap of faith, and that blind leap of faith is the roll forward into an attack. Like once you get into that rhythm, and are willing to, like, no, I'm gonna swing first, even though if I take this damage, I'll die. I'm gonna swing first, and if I do that, it'll stop his attack motion. Like that kind of gameplay, which is like sort of being aggressive. Uh, um, the stagger mechanics are very key yes. to progressing. And I will say it is one of, there's only like two or three things, but there are, th- it's interesting that there are things that you can be told that are concrete. Like Zach referenced one earlier. When someone told me, 
the gun is not to deal a bunch of damage or avenge, you know, like in a traditional game where if you're holding a gun, you're supposed to kill most things with the gun. Someone was like, no, no, no. And Bloodborne, the gun is your counter. That's why it's in your left hand. I was like, oh, that is much more useful. Like now I there's a rhythm I'm getting. And uh, dodging forward is the other thing. It, it very much encourages you to go on the offense first. Which like I think that for me was the thing that made Bloodborne the one from software game that got me in yeah. i like that about it yeah i yeah. mean every boss fight basically is a like involves a roll into the attack mechanic and the first time you do it you feel uh the fear of your imminent death uh and i really think like that sounds very dumb and obvious but like i i can't think of another game that does it can you i actually i just did as you mentioned it i feel like it's almost a spiritual twin or just emotional uh, sibling to the Doom Eternal experience, the game we covered last episode, Ooh. because yep. mm-hmm. which is taking from uh, it, which is taking from Bloodborne. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Exactly. Even though it's technically a completely different genre, mm-hmm. right? It's got the steep difficulty curve and that feeling of the only way to win you realize is oh the loop actually wants me to there's so many games where you duck and cover and try not to take damage as you chip away at the enemy doom is like no 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 you'll die that way you have to attack all the time and not care if you're taking damage because we'll constantly spit health at you if you play correctly Mm -hmm. um so that they have like the same revelation at their core uh and i do like i do I do like being aggressive? Be be aggressive. It is. Fun. I mean, th- this game also has sort of uh, very unique weapon animations, and I don't mean like animations like yeah. it looks cool when you do it. I mean like most of your uh, timing and the way you're going to play the game is based around how long does it take for you to execute an attack, and like are you going to execute like the you know the jab or the heavy punch? That kind of you know duality, well, and, and also like how. How well do you chain together the attacks that you have at your disposal? Yep. Can you can you master the idea of like mixing a you know a, a quick attack with a heavy attack with a, a trick weapon attack with a gunshot? You know, like how can you juggle the four or five limited attacks that you have into a chain of attacks to stagger and then you know inflict further damage? Um, I think that that like. Playing the game now, even though I've played it enough times and that I'm like okay at it, watching somebody play it that knows what they're doing and is actually good at it is like artwork, yep, man. It's like, like it's just incredible to watch somebody yeah. play this game that that knows the game super well. Yeah, it is. It is. It looks like ballet. Yeah. yeah, it looks like a dance. It's also very interesting, and I would say arcadey mm-hmm. in some ways how restrained the behavioral palette is. Like you mentioned Bayonetta and Devil May Cry and a signature of those games, right? Is that they keep your interest by constantly having, now when you press XX triangle, it does this thing that you Mm -hmm. never did before. It does the flip kick. Mm -hmm. Now you can do a flip kick and shoot and your heel grows and stabs the guy in the dick or whatever. (laughs) Like you just keep adding different new stuff your character does. And uh, I think it's very interesting how much restraint Sekiro less so Mm -hmm. but Bloodborne certainly has like you're right regardless of the weapon you choose you only do so many things and that's all you'll ever do and it invites you to get very familiar with exactly how many frames of animation it takes to do those things I mean it actually lays out most of the weapons that you can get pretty early right for the purpose of you like getting good with it figuring out how to use it and then like walking through the rest of the game but like basically by about a third of the way through the game 
you can afford slash are using your favorite weapon for the rest of the game. Rest of the game. Uh, yeah. So like again, like that's another way. Like this game is structured in a way that reinforces uh, what is fun about it and what it needs you to do. Like so, it takes a little while to like settle into that. Like it's very much a Zen rhythm thing. Like it really is. It, it, if you can't like settle into that rhythm of I'm going to die a bunch of times, but when I win, I will have won forever and like enjoy that. <laughs> you know, like that's the thing. Uh, but have either of you ever had the experience? Okay, I've occasionally had the experience where in a game like that, the split second <laughs> has ever happened to you. Like you beat a boss that took twenty five tries to beat, and the game fails at that split second, and you do have to do it again, and you just—it's one oh, yeah. of the most demoralizing things I think you can experience that's, in life. That is horrible. That's why yeah. that's the blood starved beast. The tale of the blood starved beast is like three almost wins. You crashed out. Yeah, you know, yeah. And you poisoned me or some bullshit. And you're like, all right, man. Uh, <laughs> I also like. There's kind of a subtle fun thing about this game, which is. There are a bunch of uh, other hunters that you can find and uh, combat, and I don't mean other hunters like uh, like necessarily like actual people. Although you can summon actual people to help you with the boss, which mm-hmm. is kind of fun. Um, but there are other players that are exactly your type of character that you can find in the world, and if you can kill them, and they're the hardest battles, uh, that's when you get like the really sweet loot. Um, mm-hmm. And most of the incredibly difficult stuff is actually optional. Um, now, I think that when you get really good at Bloodborne, you kind of don't care. It's like, I'm just going to clear this whole place out. But like, if mm-hmm. you're the kind of person that's like, you know, I just want to see where it goes, you could miss, like, I think half the bosses, maybe more. Yeah. yeah. A lot. You know, like, so the game. I mainly want to see the cool world. Well, I. Uh, not cool worlds, but Bloodborne's cool world. <laughs> um, can we talk a bit about like the look and feel and sure. the artwork yeah, yeah. aspect of it? Because uh, it succeeds on so many levels there that I am able to like appreciate and partake in. One is like they use cognitive dissonance in a way that reminds me of like German expressionist early days filmmaking, like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and shit. Like the uh, for. For example, the giant crows that, like, are not that tough of a boss or of an enemy. (laughs) They, you know, like, slop at you and (laughs) shriek. Um, The noise that they make doesn't sound like a crow. It sounds like someone recorded a crow through a speaker that they fucked up or, like, kicked the speaker a bunch before they ran the sound through it. Or they turned it up so high in audition or whatever that it's peaking. Um you know, my point being that the sound design is artistic in nature rather than an impressionistic in nature and not realistic in nature. And that is like carried through. Like, I think Bloodborne has some of the most effective sound design in video games. And I think in, as a medium, video games like sound design is so key, especially for a feeling of dread or shock or terror. And goddamn, every monster in. Bloodborne feels so handcrafted from an artistic perspective that sound and feel and look that it was like a delight to turn a corner and see a new like oh a sewer pig he looks so cool (laughs) because it's not like uh you know Mario where you get 20 iterations of Goomba 20 iterations of it it's like 
a very weird, eclectic mix of... It reminds me of a kid who likes to draw in elementary school. Right, 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 <laughs> like, right. the real weird kid who doesn't have a story, but they just draw a bunch of monsters, and they have, like, a few details in their mind about each monster. It's not cohesive. It doesn't hold together. But this, there's something about this weird kid's drawings that are very disturbing. And uh, I actually think the the artist or team of artists who have that unique from software look are one of the more like that's one of the more unique vibes in all of media right now it doesn't it feels like it's in the horror genre but not any specific horror like it's its own thing it doesn't feel like it's from the conjuring or it doesn't look like hr geiger or geek or whatever um it really feels like its own very gross decaying universe and i mean that across games that are totally wildly different right like bloodborne is Mm -hmm. we hunt monsters and it's sort of faux european 1800s uh and then sekiro is like uh ninja in totally different milieu but it still feels all the creatures are like elongated in a weird way that is upsetting Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i just can't stress enough how much of a vibe all from software games have yeah and i think the thing about bloodborne in particular is that it was so different from what they were doing with dark souls you know previously yeah dark souls was obviously very heavily influenced by uh fantasy works and um really influenced by berserk i don't know if you're you know familiar with that manga and anime series but like like miyazaki has said that he pulled a lot a lot of uh, influence from uh from berserk for the dark soul series and bloodborne is that but different you know it, it it is that same the 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 world of dark souls is set during an apocalypse you know the world is literally falling apart around the player character and Bloodborne feels like the beginning of that sort of story where you've got this blood virus that turns people into monsters. And so you've got this sort of Victorian city that is falling apart because everyone is too interested in just doing monster shit that, you know, to take care of the, the town around them. So you've got this like decaying idea of a city and there are people hidden throughout the city that are you know, they'll talk to you from behind closed doors and tell you, like, I'm not going out there. Like, everybody's a beast now. It's fucked up. But the further that you get into the game, the weirder and weirder it gets. Like, I'll never forget the moment where... The moment where your perception, uh, your insight is high enough that you can see the giant Cthulhu creatures crawling across the the, um, Victorian, you know, Gothic churches in the background. And it's just like... What the hell is that doing there? Yeah, that's yeah. dope. I didn't get that far. <laughs> yeah, as you get as you get deeper into the game, you know, you come into to, uh, uh, you start fighting these like Cthulhu type enemies, and uh, you start seeing things like Rom, the vacuous spider, which is just this like giant blob of spider creatures. Like it's it's fucked, and like all of the the enemies are different enough but still the same enough to be recognizable as like a from software creation but sets itself apart from the stuff that came before it and the stuff that came after it in Sekiro and games like that Dark Souls 3 yeah it, it has like a the closest thing like the most analogous thing that I can experience or that I remember that it reminds me of is the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland mm-hmm. you know what I mean like, mm-hmm. it, like if the Haunted Mansion had more teeth like it feels like yeah. that's kind of the vibe of this game uh, 
also that's kind of the fun of this game. You know what I mean? That's sort of like there's there's a little bit of a Oh, you mean because there's a bunch of spring-loaded animatronic scares no, in this exactly space correct. that you become familiar like, with? I mean, okay. yeah. yeah. You didn't get you, that yeah. far. You didn't consume enough insight to see the jangly face jump up from a tombstone. But no, it, it, it has like a... There's a kind of... Uh, I keep saying fun, and I don't know what better word there is to describe it, but like, it doesn't feel like terrifying for its... Despite its artwork, it feels like... Uh, there's a sort of allure, like an invitation to it, you know, like uh, like it's like it's sort of having a good time with you. Part of it is like you're constantly killing townspeople that look like sort of uh, decaying Dickens characters, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and like they also say they things. look lycanthropic to some degree. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, and they're yeah. also saying things that are like it, it's very like murdering a, a werewolf English town, uh, you know, after in the middle of some weird werewolf apocalypse you know and it's great uh i think that the like the aesthetic sort of dances on the idea of getting into like grimy gross like uh evil shit say it feels never gets it feels dirty and taboo and obscene to me like intentionally Uh, so i think it's pretty i think it it's very careful about not going too far down that road like it's not, but do you know what I, I mean? Do. Where there's some I do like know what our, you mean. our crumbs art reminds me of this. Our <laughs> crumb could just draw a phone book, and you'd be like, "That phone book looks dirty, though." Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's about something about the style of the it, art. It, it does <laughs> look like everybody in this town has leprosy or something. Like there's all kinds of like bloody <laughs> yeah. rags and shit. Uh, but it's not. I've, it, there's so many horror games that have tried to capture this, and they always go too far. So that it actually feels like a grimy sort of like nasty place. Bloodborne doesn't feel like that. Like Bloodborne feels like a really like a, like a like an oil painting in a fun spooky house or something, you know? Uh, right. And like Res- your Resident Evil fours and villages of the world have some uh, lycanthropic medieval villagers wandering around, but something they all do is, uh, I think what most storytellers would do, which is try and tie it all up in a bow where they come up with some like umbrella corp did blah, blah, blah. And I understand that it's literally called bloodborne and the bloodborne virus is why people are turning, but there are so many elements of the quote unquote story, such as it is that are just left cryptic. Like you're like, it's not like there is an umbrella corp that they're trying to weaponize some shit. And that's why everything. And no, they'll just be like, and I got to say on a textural level, I really appreciate the writing actually like the text in bloodborne. It is very effective. It's not very information laden, but it'll be like, you know, you'll get a thing and they'll be like, this bell is made from soap flakes from the bones of, the last night who fell right uh, you know when the princess here like caused the great cataclysm this is the and you're like all right <laughs> cool item. this is the ultimate <laughs> this is the ultimate game to me for the difference between lore and narrative this is the perfect mm-hmm. game to discuss this problem so or mm-hmm. this this d- distinction because i don't think it's a problem in the sense that i think they didn't want it oh, no, I, I think it's quite intentional if you yeah. if you as a consumer of this game are not willing to take the information that they provide to you and spend time outside the game or like time stopping not playing the game but considering all these pieces and like sort of maybe even assembling it on a spreadsheet or something you will find a narrative here like i, I i've seen people that did it and i think that 
to me, that is antithetical to what a narrative experience is, which is the story informs my actions and I feel emotions about the story beats and about the actions I'm taking because of what they mean for the story. That is all completely gone in this game. Instead, there are pieces that are all very tantalizing and well-written in like, and uh, interesting and like mysterious that don't add up to a whole in any consumable way unless you're willing to like write the story together for them. That is the difference exactly. between lore and narrative. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I was going to say. It's like the majority of the characters that you come into to contact with throughout the course of Bloodborne, you know, characters like Father Gascoigne or Vicar Amelia or Mikolash, you know, who led the scholars previously. Like all these characters actually have a really rich backstory and a lot of them are kind of dependent on these like half-cocked side quests to, you know, get to, to understand where these characters came from, what their deal was. Um, but like you're saying, you've got to put it together through item descriptions. You've got to put it together through dialogue that in the moment might not necessarily seem super relevant to the overall plot of the game. But um, when you piece it all together, you know, there's dozens of lore experts out there and uh, on YouTube, and when you when you follow them down the rabbit hole and watch their explanations for games like Bloodborne and Dark Souls, all of a sudden it's like, wow, these stories actually whip ass. Yeah, they're it, pretty they're cool. Just not told to you in a way that is like, and here is this person, and they like this thing, and this is where they came from. You know, like it's not the traditional narrative that that we're used to seeing in a video game. It's presented in a completely different way. Um, one of my favorite YouTube series, uh, previously prepared to try, now called Retry, uh, from the RKG guys out of the UK. Um, their their lore expert um, Daniel Krupa is super well versed in all Bloodborne and Dark Souls lore, and does a great job of trying to make sense of of the backstory as you know his buddies are playing it along with him it's a it's a really interesting watch i think does so he he never researches it he just like tries to well, talk I mean, it through I, i'm sh i'm sure that he's done you know copious amounts of research I, I don't think you put a story like the stories being told in these games together without doing some research right right right. You know? that's, that's somebody out there maybe maybe um vati vidya is the the premier uh, lore expert for these games, you know, um, but I think a lot of his work has spawned a lot of other people kind of, you know, their own interpretations or their own uh, readings of the tea leaves, as it were. It's interesting. Yeah. So like, mm -hmm. because Mike and I often do battle about whether a story is effective, uh, mm -hmm. I like to make it clear when like everything you said is completely true in my experience too. Like when I watched the 30 minute video, I was like, ah, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of this is really good. A lot of it's really mm -hmm. good. There's some, there's a few things that are like, I don't understand that, but that's fine. Uh, but on a fundamental moment by moment experience level, uh, nobody should w play this game and expect to retain any sense of what happened here. Like, I don't think. No. Like, and it, and no. it's especially a bummer because the last fight in the game, spoilers, is against the guy who's been sort of training you the entire time to combat and overcome this, you know, apocalypse. The guy, uh, the dude in the wheelchair yes. in the chapel? Yes, he is the final boss. Oh, he's the final yes. boss. And he's, he's, <laughs> he's fucking hard, by the way. 
Technically, he's not the final boss because right, right, if right. you go through and you There's collect all thing. the guts and all yeah. kinds of shit, uh, yeah, you uh, fight the, uh, the, the uh, great good, one. Adam. No, no, yeah, I, I, I fought the other yeah. thing too. Don't I? But like, it felt very tacked on to this fight. Honestly, like this fight with this guy. The main thing was killing the old. Well, man. so but again, <laughs> it plays in this very dramatic way. You know what I mean? Like everything about it, from like the, like you know the house burns and you're like out there and like oh my god, I'm gonna have to fight him now feels very dramatic and i think it sort of tells you how talented this team really is that it's still evocative even though it's completely contextless you know what i mean like you have mm-hmm. almost no context for what's happening you like you don't understand why this guy's your enemy now and like uh why you have to kill him but you still feel like wow like it has an evocative feeling which tells you how strong the mechanical work and the artistic work and the sound design are like they're really good to make it basically a nonsense sequence into a yep, satisfying battle. That's what battle. I meant by cognitive dissonance. Yeah, they're not necessarily tied to the fabric of like logical cause right. and effect. It's I I hate to make a reference that I make all too often, but there's too few directors working in this liminal space. But it's kind of yeah, Lynch-y David Lynch. Yep, that's <laughs> sure. exactly who's good at it. Yep. Even though it's like, man, he owns that reference. You know what I mean? When it, whenever something gives me that vibe, all I can think of is this is Lynchian. I wonder right. when another filmmaker will rise I, I to mean, like also be in that Terrence space. Terrence Malick also <laughs> operates in this space, but not in a way that's like completely devoid. Where you have to fill in the dots. Well, There's just the suggestion of elements. Yes, and also like he will use elements to let your brain supply the correct narrative beat that happened there, even though you're not really mm-hmm. getting it from the material. And I think that's happening a little bit in Bloodborne too, where it's like, why did I kill that scholar? Why did it matter when I killed that scholar over the sea that then led to me finding that spider? I don't know. Uh, but right. like my brain kind of filled in the, like this was a betrayal and like a, a turning point. Like you fill it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and also video games, as we've discussed ad nauseum, they're different in their nature in that a video game can also just be a toy. It doesn't have the same onus to have to be a story. Right. It's just, it just, you know, you like some internal consistency. So if you set out to be a story, then be a story. But if you are just trying to be an experience, that's totally valid in video game land, which is a cool thing about the medium. Um, But it leads me to the question, like, are you, do you think the From Software formula needs a story in other words y'all excited for elden ring because yeah so just to catch the audience up elden ring is uh the next one from this team and it's being made in conjunction with george rr martin of game of thrones fame and uh one of the things that they're pushing or leading with is there will be a more recognizable story like they've said we understand we've been cryptic we like cryptic stories this one will be a bit more like you could follow it because it's well, by well, george r can r. r. i martin. frankly say i don't think george r. r martin is a guarantee that the story is going to cohere right? right but let's say hypothetically that that was that is their goal is to present a more traditional story first from software game i almost wonder if that's necessarily something we even need in a from software i don't think we do so i think no i'm sorry uh uh i'll just be brief like i don't think we need it i think from software has earned the right to try literally anything they want and i will play that game like uh, that's how Mm -hmm. good i think not only bloodborne is but their product is they are really they're the masters of this thing so many video game franchises are stealing from this thing 
because of how good it is. Like to me, it's like if you want to try telling a story, let's see what that's like. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't need it f- to buy the game. I'm still going to buy it because it'll be fun. But you're like, it's your genre. Yeah, do whatever the, you right, want with yeah. it. <laughs> you're Spielberg of this. So go ahead, man. You know? Yeah. Uh, All right. I think, that, I think that Sekiro was kind of a step in this direction as well. Like St- Sekiro definitely has a more cohesive and more, uh, it presents a clearer story. You know, I, I think that, that um, it's definitely less obtuse. And I wonder what George R. R. Martin's involvement is, you know, recently he was, he kind of blew up, uh, this news kind of blew up a few weeks ago. He was, you know, giving a local interview with a um, uh, news station was talking about how, oh yeah, you know, I finished work on this game years ago and I gave them the scenario for this thing. So I feel like he kind of just, you know, threw out a couple of bullet points and they were, you know, okay, this is what I think for this. You guys do your thing. Uh, and from software will do that. <laughs> So I, I, when, when they say that it's like a featuring a story by George R. R. Martin, I think, I, I think it's a story in the way that he was like, okay, well, uh, maybe the world is this and maybe the characters are this and maybe these are some of the things that occur. But, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily like, know that that there's a that, powerful <laughs> ring. Like, right. There's already an epic fantasy. Right. And he's like, it doesn't but matter. They all betray this each other. They one. betray each other. It's <laughs> a lot of betrayal. There's a drag. I would say, like, yeah. I don't know why is that our George R. R. Martin? Because yeah, you're not too far. He off. has kind of a he has kind of a one of these kind of voice. Uh, so <laughs> he, he like there's a dragon. There's a dragon, and you have a wand, and you attack the dragon. Like to me, George R. R. Martin may not have written anything in eight years. It's completely possible yeah. he hasn't written a word. You mean like he's renting <laughs> yeah, his name out yeah. to shit? Yeah, yeah I think that's sure. completely possible. I, I'm not. I don't hate George R. R. Martin. I'm fine with him. Uh, I think that, but do you hate story in a from game? That's more. How relevant, can I? I would say. How can I hate it? Like what? Like to me, it's yeah, it's barely there to begin with. Right. Like, I mean, like the hate? if they start having stupid ass cutscenes instead of letting me kill That's monsters, then I might That's like it. That's what I fear. I'm not afraid. Right. Yeah. I, these, I, I, to me, these guys have such a strong sense of like what they want to do mechanically, which uh, I value. That like even a couple of cutscenes, it's like okay. I'll give it a shot. You know, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And even, even when Sekiro got into cutscene territory, I don't necessarily think it was particularly intrusive. You know, I think that they're pretty good about knowing when to, you know, when to hold them and when to fold them as it were right. <laughs> when it comes to cutscening. And if there is a more, um, if there is a bigger emphasis on story in Elden Ring, I'm kind of here for it. Like, I would love to see them tell, you know, a bigger kind of sweeping fantasy story in their signature style. And maybe that's not necessarily the cryptic style of Bloodborne or Dark Souls, but something more right. akin to what they were experimenting with in Sekiro. Well, all I can say is Sekiro, by adding a stealth like dimension to the game, allowed me to complete it. So I hope that they still keep that, but I doubt they will. It doesn't seem, doesn't seem like, like a stealth I don't game. know. Yeah. I, no, you're going back to being a knight in shining armor, which Whoa. is less of a stealthy trope. Like, to so be clear... I think I might be fucked, gentlemen. <laughs> maybe. To be clear, like, I do not anticipate Mizaki, right? Isn't that the... Mizaki, isn't that the... Miyazaki, yeah, Mizaki. Yeah. Uh, becoming a Kojima. Like, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. 
I was going to say I played through every Metal Gear Solid, so obviously I can right. withstand it's a few like cutscenes from love, From if I You love the to. Death Stranding, and like to me, it's like this. I do love the Elven Death Ring Stranding. Elden Ring has absolutely no chance of being the Death Stranding in terms of uh, cutscenes. <laughs> Just no chance no, of that. Certainly yeah. not. So I'm not really sweating no. it. Uh, can I say one thing about the toxic culture? The get good culture? Sure. Uh, I don't, I kind of don't think they're that uh, obnoxious as a gaming culture. Like, they're not Call of Duty bros. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I understand that it is condescending to tell that to people who are frustrated with the game. I completely get that. And I'm not saying it's not. In your moment of yeah, frustration. It's not nice. Usually, it's not yeah. nice. No, I mean, Twitter's not nice. Like, you know, I, I, it's okay. Yeah. I think, though, that most of that rhetoric is actually true which is something Zach was saying. Like most of the time when they're saying get good, that is the only way that's true. And also <laughs> I think there's kind of a fun, like almost monastic vibe to this, to this like whole. See, I hate people. Like yeah, you. But, like, I, but they're right though. You know what I mean? Like it's like, but you're flashing me back to, so I have a friend Griffin who is good at everything. Right, somehow. Right, right. And he's holding he's, it over you. I think, I think the key is that he's just really good at focusing, not letting his emotions get involved, and focusing on tasks. Sure. But as a kid, it was always notable how he could pick anything up really quickly. So any video game we would play, you would beat him the first couple rounds, and then as if he were the T-1000 or something, he would just be like, oh, I understand this game now, and wreck shop and be unbeatable from that point forward. And I would like get, because you know I'm nine, nine years old, I would get red-faced and, like, teary, frustrated, and literally be like, tell me, like, how you do. You have to explain to me. I beat you before. What am I doing? How am I... How is this happening? And he would always go, like, I don't know how to explain that I watch the computer and and I I do what I think I should (laughs) do until it's right and it's better than what you did. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Just like, you just have to be good yeah. at the process of the thing it wants see, you to do. I, and I'm like, well, make me good at it. See, I, I think, though, that like a toxic, because we have a lot of different spices of toxic game culture, let's be honest, right? Yes. So like this particular game culture, I haven't encountered many examples of them being like, oh, you're so bad, you suck, like aggressive. I've encountered them being like the Ra's al Ghul of video games where it's like, hey, man. Like That's to, what I mean is they just yeah. go, you, you must, must get, get good, good then. Like, you must and, get and good. And like, <laughs> I kind of like that as like a companion culture to this game. I think that's kind of fucking awesome. You know what I mean? It's like, listen, all who have passed through the gate then learn the wisdom, you know, but you must pass through the gate. Like, I love that shit. <laughs> it's, I, I know, love it. But it is frustrating when you're like, but I but I did this and it still didn't work. And they're like, shh, 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 just yeah, get pass, good. Pass just through get the gate. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I also was like, I have also been repeatedly floored by my ability to um, just throw myself against a boss to the point that when I played Dark Souls, when I played Bloodborne, I had a... A, a chair, you know, a, a kind of swing back leather chair that I would position near the television so I could just whip my controller into it, you know, <laughs> on, on frustration. Mm-hmm. And, I love it. Uh, I, I actually broke a controller playing Sekiro. Wow. It's the only time I've ever done that. I was embarrassed to say it, but I spiked my controller on the ground so hard that it shattered. Um, but I've also been continually impressed with my ability to like throw myself against a boss to the, the extent that I'm not frustrated and then quit and vow that I'm never going to play this fucking game again. 
and then come back the next morning and do it in like one or two attempts. I you know? was going to say when yeah. you sleep on it, right. when you sleep on it, the neuropathways lock in. The muscle right. memory is much stronger the next but so, morning. But like, yeah. I, it's it's surprising to me, Mike, that this is like a, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be a prick, I promise. It's surprising that well, this game. You don't have to try. <laughs> it's just so good. Oh, it's so natural. <laughs> but it's so like, that this game is, is like that kind of a barrier because I've watched you in so many things in your life like have that vexing moment and then like wake up and like write like writing you know what i mean where you're like you you it's like a frustrating process and then you overcome and it feels great you know what i mean like i mm -hmm. i feel like that's a pleasure that you like as a person you know what i mean like i'm wondering if you can like like because i because that's how i felt when i would like i don't know eight months ago i was like this just isn't fun because it's hard. But then when, you, like, again, when you get it. Oh, God. I thought after we recorded this, I would be, the obligation to play Bloodborne would be finally off me. You're saying, are you nope. trying no, to get I, me to play I, it not, again? No, I'm just, like, <laughs> counterpointing that, like, I, there is a possibility that, like, that, uh, that. That one day yeah, I might still conquer might. that mountain and yeah. I would enjoy it. And you might. Yeah. Like, I, I, I found that very condescending until I beat Bloodborne. You know, like. Well, I'll tell you the most recent attempt. It's almost like my Moby Dick in the sense that I've read the first third of it four or five times, you know, with months in between each attempt. But the most recent time, I actually didn't get stopped by a boss it, per se. I got stopped by a point where I couldn't figure out anywhere else to go on the map. Everything seemed like a dead end. Uh, and I refused to look it up. So maybe I'll try again someday. I mean, Who knows? Michael, just look it up, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should cheat if you need to. Like don't let, don't get me wrong. Like you don't owe the but game anything. But then did you really get yeah. good? The, yes, I have to prove everyone who ever said get good wrong. I have to go and show them I got good, and then get their I approval. I also think I mean, because <laughs> that's, that's I, how I, I, I think there's a distinct. I think there's a distinct difference in like looking up where to go yeah. next versus, you know the getting good that you're talking about because you're still gonna have to fight all those monsters whenever you figure out where to go you're just stuck you know trying to figure out what's i next. think this is an increasingly obsolete way to game but i do not look up guides faqs or youtube videos or anything yeah. i don't I, I think do that game, i don't cheat. i think games are now <laughs> at a point where they expect you to utilize a community like, like for, I mean, Bloodborne is definitely at that point because they incorporate that feature into the game itself. Oh yeah, I don't think, I don't think I would have. Oh, you can this leave game. messages for each other. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I would have finished this game the first time if I hadn't been able to call somebody in to help me fight the final bosses, like yeah. the final two bosses. I summoned a buddy of mine who'd already beat the game a couple of times. You know, like it, it was mm -hmm. yeah, that, the game wants you to do that if you're not enjoying it. Like that's the thing is like. If it, like it seems like a sadistic game at times, but then you realize like, well, they built these things into it that you feel are like lame, but they're not lame. They they gave you this opportunity, and like, there's a lot of games like, for instance, Destiny, a game I love to come back to, that are increasingly uh, built around the idea like somebody's going to figure out the binary code solution to this gun, and once they do, you'll get the gun. You know, but. That is an exception. I would never play a Destiny raid without just looking up oh, how to well, do you, it. That seems you nuts wouldn't to be me. able yeah. to. I would not grind through figuring you, it you out. Would, you yeah. wouldn't be able to because if you went with a random raid group, they'd be like, "You don't know, get the fuck out!" Right now, that by the way is toxic culture. Right. Uh, like Bloodborne expects you to like look up a guide if you need to, summon a friend if you need to, take a break if you need to. You know what I mean? Like I think it really. Yeah. They want you to do that. 
You should do that. That's the that's why it doesn't work for me. Bloodborne requires emotional maturity, which ah, I don't have. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's not it actually rewards you for just being like, maybe I'll set it down for a few hours. I can't do maybe that. Maybe you should try streaming it. I know that sounds like counterintuitive, but go with me. It's the roll forward of uh, video game playing moves. Uh, stream it <laughs> yeah. so that you only have to play two-hour intervals. I streamed the Father Gascoigne yeah. fight, and it was very yeah. exciting to have They'll everyone. They'll cheer for you. Everyone's, they're all yeah, so they are happy, happy when you yes. finally get you know, it. And people will, people will throw out suggestions. People will tell you what you're doing wrong if you want them to. You know, like, <laughs> like, jo- don't uh, take it personally. Dornbush, Jonathan at Dornbush at IGN has, uh, has built a real community in, in his streams by originally playing through the From Software games, and a lot of that was you know, based around the idea of like, oh, these guys are giving me tips as I'm playing and we're all celebrating these mm-hmm. successes and lamenting the, the failures and together, you know? I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I... I, I it Final, was, play Bloodborne. Just, just stream it. Just to an hour. Like, you know, like once a week we're going to stream two hours of Bloodborne if you really want to... If if this appeals to you, if it doesn't, then you know, fuck it. Like if like you couldn't make me play more Death Stranding, you know what I mean? Like so, if it's dead to you, Same. then I get it. Yeah. Wow. I get it. That's such a heavy statement to I'll, me. I'll, I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a deal, Slim. You play through Bloodborne, and I'll play through Death Stranding. Boom. Yeah, the PS5, the yeah, upgrade. That's right. The I, which, by the way, I know this is probably cliche, but like mm-hmm. a director's cut of that game in no, particular, yes, a director's cut of. Who, who was cutting stuff from that director's vision, by the Even way? Even I don't need a director's cut. Yeah, the considering that, right, there's no... It was an independent Hideo Kojima production. What does that mean? Right. Stuff that he thought wasn't good enough to be in it, but now right. he does think it's, it's like good it, enough. Who's cutting Tarantino's <laughs> films down? That's the same person that cut Death Stranding right. down. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see the Tarantino cut of Death Stranding. Oh my, uh, well, actually, I'm not opposed to that either. Uh, yeah. No. Can I just, by the way, just one last word on those ravens. Those ravens can fuck you up. I don't like. I, I'm not embarrassed to say, like, I've died to a raven by getting oh. too close to it, like a hundred times. Yep. Oh, I never had a lot. Man, of they'll fuck with the you ravens. up. You get too close, For they'll like. Reason. And also, they kind of sound like dog barks. You know. That's what I mean. Is they don't sound like ravens. They sound like an artistic choice. That's what I love about <laughs> it. <laughs> They're like they make this monster yeah. noise, and right. it's just—it's not really a noise you can place as an organic noise. They look like a noise. bird puddle. Like a, they look like a they look like a puddle of a creature, <laughs> you know? Yeah, every everything in this game is is wet yeah. and soggy yeah. and oily. Like, yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah. yeah, and bespoke, like crafted with a lot of care. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, did you wear any crazy outfits? Um, did you get? Did you get to like you know? What what an outfit did you settle on? Uh, I don't know that I wore any particular, like, I, I feel like the outfits that you can get all somehow kind of mesh with each yeah. other, you yeah. know, like there's a lot of wacky shit that you can get, but somehow it all sort of works in the aesthetic. Um, I did, uh, some of the, the costumes from the old hunters DLC are pretty wild and I, I really do love some of those guys. I've, I've played through, uh, some of that stuff for sure. Uh, once I got the crow themed outfit mm-hmm. uh i determined mm-hmm. i didn't care how many other pieces of clothing i was gonna wear that for the rest of my life in that game oh yeah so like a feather to show yeah it looks so, yeah you just look like you look like a medieval doctor mixed with like a, a terrifying uh 
Valkyrie made of crow feathers. It's great. Okay. It's really good. Well, we might have done it. I think it's final yeah, checkpoint time. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. What is, what's another, let's see. Uh, back to the dream. Campfire? Campfires are Dark Souls. No, the, the lanterns. Mm-hmm. We have to light a lantern. The lanterns. They're yeah. lanterns. I was mixing them up with yeah. the campfires. That's right. We light our final lantern as Mike's brain fails to recover the pertinent detail <laughs> and pass our last checkpoint. And that brings us to our final segment here on One Upsmanship uh, called Keeper Delete. And I think we already know which way Zach's going to go. But this is where we decide if there were a celestial hard drive that aliens and or godly beings were going to judge humanity by that could only fit, let's say, 150 to 200 games. What are the odds Bloodborne would make it on that hard drive? Keep or delete? Zach, what say you? Oh, big time keep. Yeah. Uh, it's a keeper. Oh, yeah. I, I Like I said at the top, I... Really, and this sounds like hyperbole, but it, it, I really think this is one of the best games ever made. I think that even going back and playing it last year, uh, you know, like going back and playing a game like The Witcher uh, or mm, Metal Gear Solid Five, yep. you know, like those feel of 2015. Going back and playing Bloodborne, like they could put that game out right now and it would still feel every bit as smooth and engaging and dynamic as it as it did the day that it was you know, released. So yeah, I say definitely keep. Adam, what about you, Mike? Or do you want to go last? Do you want to go, go last? I'll, I'll go, you can go last because you're the one that's not. A... Is it a keep clean sweep? I thought since I was the most on the fence, it would be more dramatic. I'll go if second. I went last. Uh, absolutely keep this game. Uh, I would love to see Sony 
put out a 60 frames a second 4K version of this game, like clean it up a little bit and mm-hmm. re-release it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is the best game on the PS4. It could mm-hmm. be. Um, and I... I you know, I can't encourage any of you enough who are like like the game but frustrated with it. Like, you know, put it down if you need to, but also like don't feel like you need to beat it. It's really fun when you get to a place where you're just enjoying the process and like, uh, you know, kind of just slowly making your way through it. It's re- very satisfying. Three years ago, I tried this game like ten different times, and I was very angry with it. So like, I'm hoping some of you might have that experience. That would be a very rewarding game for you. And you don't count that against it? No, I no because I, I think this like, is the rare... If I encountered a box in the desert and it made me angry over and over, but one time it made me happy, I would be like, that's a pretty mediocre box. I think box. that From Software kind of has clearly laid out what kind of experience to expect from it. They want you to get angry. Well, I, I don't understand. think you have to get angry. I think that's a chosen response. Sure. <laughs> like, you could, you know... Uh, it's normal to get frustrated. That's why I think to really enjoy it, you have to put down some expectations. And that's fun. Like, that's a fun experience. Um, and they just have this key uh, to a different kind of video game fun experience that most games you play will not give you. Um, and it's, you know, it's not like Battletoads hard where it's like, oh, this is just shitty level design, so you have to overcome it. It's like, you know, a designed fun mm. experience that works if you play it the way you're supposed to. You know, which to me suggests like not bad design, but perfect design, right? That's that's why I think it's not a ding against it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm keeping it. Whoa! I can't delete Whoa. jazz. Then I wouldn't be smart and sophisticated. I, th- I thought you might keep Sekiro or something. Um. Well, I don't know that we'll cover Sekiro. I do think of all the From Software games, Bloodborne is the most elegant and perfect in its systems yeah. design. Even though I can't <laughs> beat it, I I got far enough to appreciate that for the reasons we discussed, the roll forward, the aggression being the signature like feel of the loop. Um, I do think it's probably objectively the best one, even though it's not the one that resonated with me. So... And I'm betting it's probably going to stand the test of time and still will have defenders even after Elden Ring or, you know, people who think it's the best one. Mm -hmm. I think Bloodborne is super seminal and deserves to be kept. Yeah, right right on. So there you go. That's great. Yeah. Totally agree. And did we, I think we all deleted Doom Eternal. That feels weird. Yeah, we did. But I don't, I mean, that's not a consequential game Uh, like this is. Yeah, I'd probably, I would probably keep doom 2016 and delete doom boy eternal. everybody but that's, me that's uh, everybody but me feels yeah. like that yeah. i feel like doom eternal is yeah. better uh but that was a whole other conversation sure uh, yeah. people love doom 6 2016 i will since we're talking about that bloodborne feeling though adam i did just replay that part where you kill the tank and then you get catapulted to an area with two tanks that is that's, a fun moment that that's was a fun moment the best moment in a doom game to me like it's like you laugh and go, you oh, son of a you. bitch. Yeah, like, and then <laughs> yeah. the metal just hits again. You're like, oh my God. It's great. And the guy goes, we're not done yet, Slayer. You're like, God I, damn like, it. Anytime a designer, <laughs> like, anytime I get a feeling of a wink from a designer, like, I really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, because, like, video oh, games are sure. so much more complex and multifaceted than films are. 
that it's harder to get the feeling that like a brain knew what your brain was going to think and was ahead of you. Uh, so that's what I loved about that. It was like, oh, okay, the people who designed this knew what I thought, and were like, nah, here you go, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. For sure. Hey, uh, Zacharias, if people want to wink at you digitally, mm-hmm. where could they find you <laughs> on the internet? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Zacharias D. Uh, you can follow me there. Um, it's mostly goofs and guffaws and occasionally video game hot takes. Um, but uh, I try to keep it light. So. Heck yeah. yeah. That's mostly how yep. we keep it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks again for hanging out with us, oh, dude. Always a pleasure. Love thanks for having me. Yeah, it's having great having you, man. Yeah. Right on, guys. Adam, you got anything? Uh, I mean, I did the intro, so can you say something profound to wrap us uh, out of here? I can't say anything more profound than like embrace the Zen of the Blood Moon, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, find your way back to the dream, where uh, yeah. all your pain will one day finally subside. Farewell, mm-hmm. dear hunters. Couldn't have said it better myself. Work complete. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.